0: This episode is sponsored by Zengo.
1: This is the Hash Podcast. Stay informed with the latest on Bitcoin, ETH, the metaverse, Web3, and more, with stories that matter to the crypto world. All on the Hash for your ears.
0: You're listening to the Coindesk Podcast Network. Hey there. Welcome to CoinNest TV. Welcome to The Hash. Thanks for being here. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Happy Monday. It's October 24th. We're going to get you up to speed on what is going on in crypto. I'm joined by Adam, Wendy, and
2: Jen. And Adam has our first story of the day. Adam, take it away. Thanks, Zach. Today we kick things off in the United Kingdom where, following the abrupt downfall of now former Prime Minister Liz Truss, who held office for a record short period of just 55 days, and her immediate predecessor declining to run for the leadership role again, this morning we saw former Finance Minister Rishi Sunak chosen by his party to fill the top slot. Zooming out for a moment, the personal question that I have here is, will this new Prime Minister actually last longer than Truss in an environment where governments especially European ones are trapped between politically unsustainable inflation and energy costs, historically low currency valuations compared to the dollar and the central banks that they play host to raising interest rates at a record pace. So that's the big picture. And we'll all get to see how that plays out in real time. But at least for the moment, Sunak's win is being read as good news by many crypto observers who note he has made positive comments in the past about wanting the UK to become a crypto hub, as well as assisting with at least some legislative efforts that might support those ambitions. Wendy, I'll kick this over to you first. What do you think here?
1: So I don't trust any of the politicians that do say positive things about crypto. And one of the reasons why is we had Gary Gensler, who taught courses at MIT and seemed to be pro-crypto. But in fact, when he started working for the SEC, we're seeing not a lot of pro-crypto regulation being put into play. So even though this does sound good on the outside, I would still want to examine a little bit more of him, his past, and what type of regulation he does want to put forward. Because at the end of the day, I do think that We are going to be seeing a CBDC, and we're going to see a lot of harsh regulation come into the crypto space regarding Bitcoin, crypto, and NFTs to get the CBDC through.
3: Wendy, don't let Gary Gensler tarnish your views on all politicians everywhere. (laughs) Although I I I can understand. I think we are all a little bit jaded. But when I read the Sunak news, I thought, hmm, this is really interesting. I remember a few i think probably it was in april there was this nft he was talking about where he was encouraging the royal mint to launch an nft to really uh solidify the uk's commitment to crypto but that kind of went against some of the headlines that we had seen previously right so the uk's advertising standards authority has come down really hard on a lot of crypto projects we talked a lot about those last year. And I think for this to really work, government agencies, the advertising authority, they all need to work together. And I just don't know in the current climate, Adam, like you rightfully pointed out at the top of the story, if that's going to happen around crypto, there are so many bigger fish to fry in Europe and the UK right now. It seems like getting all of these agencies to work together is a little bit of a pipe dream. That said, to your point, Wendy, you know the SEC has kind of shot down regulatory sandboxes and, and getting the different government agencies to to work together. This new prime minister has said that that's what he envisions. So I mean, if they can get that to work in the UK and we can kind of see how something works differently outside of, of the US, I would be looking forward to see that. Zach, what do you think?
0: I think there's some interesting competition here between the UK and France. France secretly, there was a little item, not secretly, not really secretly at all, but there was a little item in the news today <laughs> saying how France wants to position itself as a crypto hub, which is a bit surprising. France has sort of historically not really been that too into the crypto world. But sure enough, I think there's some major crypto figureheads who are currently residing in France, as well as a couple of companies who are pretty foundational. So if they become sort of, you know, UK-France rivalry in terms of who might court the crypto industry a bit more effectively, I'd be interested in that. I don't know if it's going to come to pass, but maybe it will. It could be a little, little feud, a little rivalry going there. That'd be classic. I think I saw Adam, though, with his hand, so I'm going to toss it down to him. Take it away.
2: Yeah, I think that the interesting part about all of this, right, is that we're living through a time of great, great disruption. And that disruption, you know, there's more than one way kind of to play it right now. Uh, One side is you try to fight the disruption, and that typically is a stalling action if not everybody is doing it at the exact same time and largely the same way, because otherwise you'll effectively just chase people out of your jurisdiction into wherever it is sort of the least worst option. We've seen exchanges play this game for years and years. You know, now as we enter sort of the era of central bank digital currencies, uh, which will certainly be coming over the course of the next year or two, uh, we're going to see this sort of stalling action move into a more aggressive phase where governments will attempt to co-opt some of the innovation that's come out of this space, but try to do it in a way where they retain control over the fundamental mechanisms behind how money works around the world. That probably also is a losing game, but it's a game that they really have no choice but to play. So when you see a country like France suddenly turn around and say, hey, actually, we want to be the leaders in this, that's them kind of recognizing that, well, the current moment we're in is one where you can pick one of these two paths. And it's almost always better to be on the side of the Being the of the doing the disruption versus being disrupted. And so I think that this is a dynamic we'll continue to see play out and get more intense actually over the course of the next two years. Uh, Wendy, over to you.
1: Really quickly, I do think that we do need to centralize government a little bit better because the decentralization of government seems to not be working at all. And I also think that there's a lot of countries that were frowned down upon. El Salvador and a lot of small ones, maybe in Asia and other parts in the world that are really going to be the ones that truly adopt crypto. And the reason why is they don't have a whole lot of red tape and their governments are not as big as what we're seeing in like the UK and in the United States and other places. So I think that we should be paying attention to what some of the smaller places are doing. I think that those will be the big crypto hubs of the world. And maybe those countries will regain a lot of the power that they've seemed to lost in the last couple hundred years.
3: All right, let's leave that story there. And we are going to head on over to some phishing news. So FTX is compensating victims of an API phishing hack with up to $6 million. CEO Sam Bankman-Free took to Twitter to educate users on phishing and clarify that FTX was not fished. He said, in general, we can't compensate users for getting fished by fake versions of other companies in the space. He then announced that FTX will in fact compensate users But this is a one-time thing and the company will not be doing this moving forward. So the phishing scam was in relation to three commas. This is a trading bot platform that interlinks with FTX via an API. The scammers reportedly cloned the three commas website for for performing trades on victims accounts. Zach, I'm going to toss this one to you. What do you think of SBF's comments? He's he's going to compensate, but he really wants people to understand what's going on out there. I felt like he was like our angry crypto dad telling us, know what you're doing on the internet and don't come back to me when you mess up again. Isn't this
0: like against the backdrop of SBF getting roasted pretty thoroughly for some comments that he made? Did I Did I miss this drama? Did I miss this drama that like he said that there should be consumer protection and then everyone got mad? Like Wendy, did you, did you follow that
1: drama by chance? Adam,
0: can <laughs> um, I get an update on the drama before sa- we talk about what this is?
1: Um, thank you for saying it so I didn't have to, but basically Sam came out with possible <laughs> crypto regulation. We tore that apart on my show. as also um, a guest on somebody else's show talking about it. But again, it's just a possible bill and it's just kind of sort of a guideline of what could and should happen. It was torn apart by the entire community because it does sound like DeFi and our privacy is truly under attack. And that's all I'm going to say about that.
0: All right. So that's what, that's where I'm seeing this out of. I'm seeing this like, okay, like SBF starts scrambling the PR jets. Like, oh no, we're down bad in the PR department. What can we do? Let's reimburse some phishing scam victims. That'll do it. Maybe that's a bit, uh, I don't know, uh, cynical of me, but I kind of see it in those terms rather than in what may be a worthy cause to reimburse people for a one time, uh, case of bad luck. But I don't know, Adam, what are your thoughts?
2: I mean, I think that this really goes back to the concept of moral hazard. Uh, that's the reason why, although they're doing this, they're at, the, at great pains to say this is not a precedent that they're setting. Because the concern, certainly, you know, if you're SBF, is that people are like, oh, hey, I don't need to be careful because FTX is going to bail me out if I screw up something and wind up getting scammed. Again, not a hack as far as I can tell. This was, again, a cloned website that people then linked their API keys to. So they actually did stuff with it, being fooled into thinking that it was actually the real service when in fact it was not, effectively giving permission to the scammers to then pull money or do whatever it was that they did in terms of making these malicious trades within their account. So that moral hazard thing, just like when you bail out banks, right? Like Bailing out banks means that banks don't need to be as careful because the government is going to bail them out. Well, Sam Bankman Freed and his FTX company is kind of filling that role here. And if I were them, I would also be at great pains to do that. Now, I think your point is really a good one, Zach, which is maybe this isn't about this thing at all. And maybe it's just about replacing the headlines that SBF pulled into the the mainstream over the last couple of days uh, and making it something about this. So this is the conversation that we're having. And if that's the case, well, then kudos because it's working. Jen?
3: I just saw Wendy's hand up, so I'm going to kick it off to her.
1: I want to know more information about this. like how did so many customers get this three commas fake website and decide to use it? Like where was the original source from? Because I went through and I read the Sam's thread, but I didn't see any of that there. And I also believe in that somebody else on Twitter again, I don't have the source in front of me. they said this was going on for quite some time. It was like the last 18 days. I could be wrong, please fact check me. But I want to know where the original source came from and why this was decided to be pushed out on a Sunday evening. So always pay attention to times that things are being released and also what it is going to be replacing because it's a very good PR marketing tactic that is also done in mainstream media. However, I'm not making any allegations. I just like to look outside the box.
3: Yeah, I guess it's a good time to remind everyone to always check the link they click on and make sure the websites you're visiting, the places you are putting your personal information and passwords into are actually the real places that that you are meaning to interact with. Always, always, always read that website address.
2: ZenGo Crypto
1: Wallet is an on-chain crypto wallet with no private key vulnerability, leveraging advanced cryptography called MPC which, until now, has only been available to multi-billion dollar institutions. Zengo is the most secure Web3 wallet and the best place to keep your digital currency, NFTs, and assets secure. It's also fully recoverable using the wallet's biometric recovery kit. Get started at zengo.com hash and use code hash to get $20 back on your first purchase of $200 or more. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Welcome
4: to CoinDesk's Women Who Web3 podcast, your weekly podcast celebrating women supporting women, investing in women, and bridging the gender gap in wealth through Web3. Each week we'll be learning from powerful women sharing their insights on topics like creating belonging and inclusivity in the digital spaces, the metaverse, building prosperous Web3 projects, investing in cryptocurrencies and building wealth. And we have how to's from founders and builders who have been there and done that healing sessions to give you the power to overcome imposter syndrome and everything you need to level up in your crypto journey. At the end of each podcast, stick around for some Zen with a relaxing meditation to center you after absorbing all the stories and the knowledge. I'm your host, Cams, and I'm on a mission to empower women across the globe to unlock the unlimited potential and earning power inside themselves through Web3. Whether you're just crypto curious or a crypto connoisseuse this podcast is for you
1: let's get it so we've got some nft drama court refuses to dismiss insider trading case against former open C executive so basically the former head of product and was indicted earlier this year on allegations of insider trading and more And he was also charged with wire fraud and money laundering. He filed a motion to dismiss the charges in August, arguing there wasn't enough evidence to support a money laundering charge and that he didn't misappropriate info. He also argued that he couldn't be charged with wire fraud, but also couldn't be charged with insider trading because NFTs he allegedly traded were neither securities slash commodities. Again, this is where the SEC has failed us. On Friday, Judge denied the motion. And the judge also said that this evidence should be presented before a jury rather than a dismissal motion. A couple other interesting things about this story. The gentleman that was indicted also argues that his fourth and fifth amendment rights were violated. An attorney said the FBI agents didn't read his Miranda rights to him before questioning or collecting evidence, which is going to be very, very important for this case in my personal opinion. We've seen people in the past and other industries get off because they weren't read their Miranda rights. I actually want to toss this one over to Adam and get his take.
2: Thanks, Wendy. Yeah. So I think it's an interesting story, certainly. And it is something where like a number of agencies look like they're wanting to set precedent with it. Uh, one of the interesting things about this is that although this is an insider trading case in many ways, he hasn't actually been charged with insider trading. And that was one of the things that the judge said about it was that, you know, there are con- you're, you're looking at the press release effectively. That the DOJ put out about this and it says insider trading in there, but you haven't actually been charged with insider trading, which is kind of an interesting distinction and kind of goes to to the point here is that they want this to look like this is an NFT insider trading case and sets precedent along those lines. But actually, they've charged him with things that are much more mundane than that. Uh, I, you know, I'm interested to watch how this goes, but I have kind of low expectations in terms of, uh, in terms of Nate's ability to kind of get out of this situation. Seems like he's being targeted, and uh, they usually get the people that they target, unfortunately, in this day and age. Zach, up to you.
0: Yeah, just nodding vigorously. I mean, yes, this was certainly an ethical lapse by Mr. Chastain, but I also do agree that this is being thought of as you know a precedent-setting, an example-setting case, right? You can't take advantage of your position within a major platform and profit off of that without getting slapped down by regulators, right, who protect uh, the free and fair markets in the U.S., right? So that's what this is trying to be. So I think that, Adam, you're right. Optically, what is, what is desired by the prosecution is a pretty clear slam dunk that sets a precedent and makes an example in this instance. But again, these, these questions are thorny, right? It's not just sort of like lawyers trying to wiggle out of these things. It is important that, these categories don't neatly map onto each other, right? Existing securities regulation and law doesn't always necessarily neatly map over to this weird new world of NFTs and NFT trading. So I think whether or not that gets sussed out in court, I don't know, but obviously this is moving forward. So there's going to be more opportunities uh, for the lawyers to debate it. going to be interesting to see how it pans out. Jen, I'm going to toss it to you.
3: Yeah, I agree with what everyone has said. I think it's going to be hugely precedent setting when this goes to trial. I thought it was really interesting that the judge said prosecutors may not actually be able to prove um that money laundering and wire fraud had happened, but the judge wanted to see it go before a jury. I think the defending lawyers are going to have an uphill battle against them, you know, explaining to a jury how all of this works, why it works, why it doesn't fit into the current frameworks of, of regulation. And it's just going to be an uphill battle. I don't know how you can educate a jury to that level, to that magnitude with such unclear regulations and get a unanimous decision on something. And so it's unfortunate that it's going to be precedent setting because I don't think that this is the way to get good regulation.
2: Yeah. So jumping in here, I think that the, one of the challenges that I see for Chastain is specifically in trying to explain those complexities in a way that makes it so that the jury is less likely to convict him versus more likely to convict him. Because I think, again, Mm -hmm. the complexity actually works in favor of the prosecution in this particular circumstance. Again, juries oftentimes have a kind of, if it looks like a duck and it walks like a duck and it quacks like a duck, then we're just gonna call it a duck, even if it's not a duck at all. And that may in fact be kind of what this is, is if the prosecution draws a close enough analog to here's how insider trading looks in a traditional space, Here's how it looks here, at least as far as what we're saying, even though we're not charging him with insider trading, you should just convict him of, of these things because it's the same thing that that I think is kind of the thing that they need to avoid. So those technical arguments around Miranda rights, you I know, mean, all of that stuff, those are going to be key in terms of making sure that, you know, like we'll, we'll be able to tell uh, pretty quickly how this is going to go, I think, based on that. Wendy,
1: I just want to add, I wonder how they're going to pick the jury. Like I've had to, I guess, audition for jury duty before. And some of the questions that they ask might be interesting. Like, do you hold NFTs? Do you trade cryptocurrency? Do you hold coin XYZ? Like they're going to have to pick people that have some sort of knowledge about the cryptocurrency industry, but also are not maybe participating in it because there could be some bias there.
3: I love that you called it auditioning for jury duty. You made it sound so glamorous. (laughs) It's so glamorous when you're in LA LA, though. Oh my God. Yeah, we're auditioning for (laughs) jury duty.
1: (laughs) 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 Try to make light of a very very long and annoying time. I actually have a funny story about it. I can't tell on the air. Anyways, let's get into the next story.
0: <laughs> Ooh, no, I'm just going to stay, stay silent. Hmm, interesting. Say more. All right, anyway, uh, I will save you. We are going to go talk about NFTs and court stuff. All right, we're talking about Singapore. It was a ruling in a Singapore court that NFTs can be considered digital property. And some are seeing this as, you know, validation of the property-like aspects of NFTs. Others are seeing it as, you know, further creep into the world of digital assets by institutions of the legacy world. Interesting one here, something worth noting. I will toss it down to Adam for his
2: thoughts. Yeah, I think that the the funniest part about this story to me is that it's sort of a continuation of trend here, right? Like we're so used to not getting any sort of meaningful clarity about any of this stuff from the regulators who are supposed to tell us what it means and sort of the frameworks that they manage that. A court finds in a case that has been going on for quite a while, that's a very minor case about a single board ape. They, they're like, yeah, you, you can count NFTs as property. And that's, that's like, it's like, wow, amazing. A court said that. (laughs) And it's like, well, obviously they're property. Like to anybody who's ever owned one of these things, to anybody who's ever, you know, even just basically understood what they are, these are clearly property. And yet we have this sort of reaction because it is so rare to get any sort of validation. Uh, from the traditional financial system, political system, kind of you name it. Like they don't, they don't want to deal with this stuff. And to the extent that they do, it certainly seems like they would rather keep it confusing than try and untangle this ball of yarn. Wendy, I know this is one of your favorite topics too. So I'll kick it over to you.
1: NFTs are property, in my personal opinion, or they can be other things as well. Depends whatever that token is representing. So again, I'm 100% for NFTs. I think that the intended purpose is going to be for like musicians in the, especially entertainment industry, right? or to identify if something is truly yours or not. I do want to see positive regulation across the entire world when it comes to NFTs. However, it's going to be an uphill battle because the third parties, the intermediaries, they don't want that. They want to contain full control and they also want to continue to profit off of folks who might not be well versed enough to understand exactly what is happening. So. I hope we get good regulation with NFTs, but at the same time, it is going to be a very, very uphill battle. And nobody better come for my Mutant Ape, and yes, I do own one, and it's mine.
3: We talk about precedent setting law, right? We talk about case law. So when judges make rulings, we look back at those rulings to inform future rulings. And to me, like Singapore saying that NFTs are property, but then in the States, the SEC is probing Yuga Labs. We have the European Union looking at collections like the Board Apiot Club collection. And saying collections that look like that may be considered securities. So that's collections with, you know, thousands or tens of thousands of PFPs instead of, instead of one of one NFTs. And so for me, it's just still confusing, right? NFTs are living in this kind of borderless world. So what law do we follow when we're looking at NFTs and trying to determine what they are? So I, yeah, I don't know what to make about this. I'm still confused. The one thing that I did think was interesting in this case though, was that the claimant was able to file a suit against someone who was pseudonymous. And I thought that that was an interesting piece to precedent setting law. This person protected their identity. They went by a pseudonym online. A lot of people in this industry do that to avoid being litigated against. And in this case, that did not work out. Zach,
0: yeah, I mean, this is just one of several kind of things where, you know, NFTs are inching towards some degree of clarity around what they are, right? We talked about the IRS putting NFTs into, into the U.S. tax code. We talked about, you know, 3 RS capital having their NFT fund liquidated during their bankruptcy proceedings. So there is sort of this emerging consensus around how NFTs are going to interact with structures in the real world, specifically the legal structures. So I think that one to me is also, you know, it's interesting to sort of situate this in the context of sort of a growing awareness and acceptance that these are going to be digital assets that will be property-like for the long term. But Wendy, I'm going to give you the last word on this one.
1: Really quickly, I really feel like US regulators and regulators across the world are just missing the ball here. There's so many opportunities for them to do their job better with cryptocurrency and NFTs. (laughs) Like, Imagine if you can just serve somebody via NFT. You can literally do that with so many different people. So the United States, again, is not capitalizing on this opportunity. Also too, it's going to be interesting to see how they determine what NFTs could be securities or property or whatnot, depending on the type of utility it has. Therefore, the Howey test is not going to be accurate in a lot of these different cases. They're going to have to come up with their own framework. And again, I just feel like a lot of these public servants are too, too lazy to do it because it's hard. Crypto is hard and that's why we love it
0: man imagine getting served by an airdrop that would be terrible i was you're just, just like, thinking oh. that
1: sounds like, terrifying
0: wow, let me open this token and it's like sir <laughs> oh, you've been served crap.
3: Yeah. <laughs> then we just lose right, the private yeah. keys after that so, sir, like so, pointing at you
0: proof of service that. that'd be great that'd be great that'd be great <laughs> that's good so rare a unique one-of-one it's gonna be great all right anyway that's it for the show today thanks for being here on monday you're watching coindesk tv You can also listen to us on the podcast network. A lot of great stuff there. Check it out later today, 3 p.m. Eastern. You're going to watch all about Bitcoin here on CoinDesk TV. I know you're going to. You're going to do it. I can feel it. Thanks for doing that. And we'll be back again tomorrow. That's it. I'm Zach. It's Wendy, Jen, Adam. We're The Hash. Thanks for being here. Talk to you later. Bye. You've been listening to The Hash on the CoinDesk Podcast Network.